Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the system responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the experiences of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hey everyone, welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy. And this is Marcella. Welcome back, everyone. We're glad that you are here tuning in with us today. Amy and I were just, you know, taking some nice big deep breaths before getting on. We're we're so excited to be back for another episode. But um, you know, we were just talking, life's been just kind of heavy lately. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I don't know, the struggle is just real right now. Yeah. So we as much as we talk about content, 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 we wanted to be intentional about this episode and pausing a little bit, checking in with you guys, checking in with ourselves, and just having a really raw and honest conversation about how the world feels pretty heavy lately. Um, It is something that all of us are navigating. It's something that all of us kind of, I think, collectively can feel and are experiencing. And we wanted to just have an honest conversation about what that impact is looking like and what can we do about it? Yeah, for sure. I think that heavy is almost like an understatement at this point. And I feel like it has been heavy for a really long time. Um, For lots of people, for lots of communities, it has like really the reality is it's always been heavy. But I think that over the last, you know, handful of years, especially it's hitting people so much harder. And all of us are just feeling the impacts of that collective chronic trauma that we're all just having this constant exposure to. A hundred percent. Yeah. And and the reason why, you know, for adoptees in our community is that we already are people that have been exposed and navigating our own traumas um, for the majority of our lives. And, you know, it's, it really, that already impacts the system so much. And that already takes such a toll on our mental health, our physical health, our relationships, all these things. And now it's just like, punch, punch, punch one after the other. These last couple of years have been so intense. And so noticing, if you're noticing that, you know, this resonates, that things are feeling particularly daunting and difficult and hard and exhausting, know that you are not alone in that. And that's exactly why we're doing this episode. Yeah, you are definitely not alone and just giving um, ourselves, our systems, a lot of grace and compassion for the fact that some of our protective systems are having to kind of take over hardcore as we navigate all of this and that our bandwidth is just a lot smaller than maybe what we're typically used to. This is bringing up a lot of stuff that we might not even be aware of. uh, That's just kind of on like an unconscious subconscious level and just kind of giving yourself a lot of grace and compassion as you wade your way through that. I guess a good place to start maybe is just kind of um, talking a little bit about what is chronic trauma and why is it important to understand what that is? Yes. 
something that we unfortunately know all too well, right? So when I'm talking, at least with clients and stuff about chronic trauma, you know, a lot of times I think people think of like those single incident traumas, right? You get into a car crash or you break your leg and you have to go to the hospital or, um, you know, something that has a very definitive start point, middle point, end point. And then even though that can still be very difficult and very dysregulating, you know, it's, you can kind of package it into like this box and that's where it goes. With things like chronic trauma, these are things that happen over and over and over and over again for a prolonged period of time. It's like your system never gets a chance to process, to take a break, to take a breather, any of those things before the next thing comes along. And collectively as a society right now, that is what all of us are facing to a degree with all of this violence we're being exposed to throughout the course of the pandemic, with all of these, you know, human rights, social justice issues that are, you know, ever more present in our daily lives. And what this is doing is triggering the chronic stress, chronic trauma that we as adoptees or anybody with complex trauma has already experienced. So it's like that domino line of things is just repeatedly getting knocked down and knocked down. And the truth is like, y'all, we're, we're tired. <laughs> like we are tired. There is truth when people say like, I'm wiped out and I'm tired. Like our system is taking a legit beating right now. Yeah. A lot of times I hear in session, people will say, you know, I don't feel like I have the right to say I have trauma or I, <clears throat> I don't feel like my trauma quote unquote is justified because I haven't, you know, lived through a house fire or I, I wasn't in this yeah. crazy car accident or I wasn't like attacked. Comparison. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, like I don't have it as bad as this person or as right. this, like there's this constant, like it could comparing. always be worse. I feel like I'm just complaining. I'm not being totally. strong enough. But what we now know, and we have studies to back this up too, is that this prolonged chronic trauma can have the same toll, sometimes even more of a toll on our systems and impact than those single incident traumas like Marcela was talking about. So chronic trauma, we should never underestimate it or downplay it. It is a very real thing. And it, it might not come and hit our systems all at once in this attack mode. It might just be microdoses of a lot of stress and a lot of our system picking up on cues of danger and our sense of safety feeling threatened. Over time, the same chemicals are pumping through our systems, making us feel like we're not safe yeah. or that happens when we feel like we're being threatened. And over time, that actually continues to take a very real toll on our systems as well. So this... So to say you have chronic trauma or to be exposed to this chronic stress is a very real thing. And don't let anyone ever gaslight you out of that being something that's valid. Totally. Yeah. As you were talking, I'm, I'm being reminded of, and I, I've said this to my, myself sometimes, I know lots of my clients say it is with all of this chronic trauma content that we're all getting exposed to, right? Mass shootings, police brutality, you Maybe. know, attacks against certain communities, all of this stuff so many people say like I, I I'm like desensitized to it right like I just don't even think about it anymore or like there's just not that it doesn't pack that big huge punch anymore that maybe it did the first time around and what I think is always really important to touch on is that 
in some ways, our system does adapt and it uses different kinds of protective factors in order to help us get through the day. Very similarly, similarly to how we as adoptees and anybody with complex trauma have learned how to live with those things. Does it mean that we're like living a hundred percent and like we're in self energy and all of those things? No, but like we learn how to cope and adapt. And a lot of that is desensitizing to it, right? If every single time I read an article about an ad adoption and became a puddle, that would not be that wouldn't be doable for me. That would not be sustainable. So a lot of this has to be desensitizing to it, just like everybody is kind of experiencing with stuff like the news and things like that. It's it's how our system is trying its very best to survive. So I, I think that it's really important to say it doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean mm. that this isn't like horrible, really difficult stuff that's happening but when I hear people say, I'm just numbed out or, you know, I'm just kind of like desensitized to it or I just kind of see it and I'm on autopilot, just recall that that is your nervous system trying to kind of lessen the blow because it is so intense. Totally. Our systems also, as human beings, we love things that are predictable, right? Uh, something that's predictable is a cue of safety for us. If we think back to being a little baby, if we cry and our needs are met, we learn, oh, the world is really predictable. The world is really safe. The world revolves around me. This is rely great. on stuff. Yeah. Yep. I can rely on things. When things are unpredictable, if a baby cries and sometimes their needs are met, that baby learns, okay, this unpredictability is not safe, right? I don't have, I can't really trust in my caregivers. I can't trust in my world. It's all up to me. Our systems don't like when things are unpredictable. That's a human thing. And so when we experience this chronic stress and trauma, it's because our systems don't have enough trust in the world that things are going to be sustainable in a way that is protective and that feels safe. So if we think about that from a larger perspective, every time we're turning on the news and we're learning about a pandemic that's breaking out, okay, that's not predictable. Or schools just have to shut down because you know, there's an outbreak that's not predictable for our systems, or we don't know if we can even go over to spaces that always feel safe, like grandma's house, because we might bring in something and harm her or hurt her or seeing yeah. how people are being beaten up just for the color of their skin, going for a walk or a jog, whatever it might be. We're constantly being bombarded with so much unpredictability. Like, I don't know if I'm safe here before I was safe here. Now I don't know if I'm safe here. And the toll that I think that's taking on our systems is so ridiculously exhausting. Yeah. No, I even just hearing all of that, like there's a heaviness to it. There's like all of these extra hoops that it causes um, us to have to jump through in order to just go through our day to day lives, which, you know, for those of us with complex trauma, we've already got enough that we're trying to navigate. And all of this stuff is just added you know, things on the to-do list that we have to assess for, that we have to be mindful of, you know, for adoptive parents, these are extra things you have to be talking to your children about no matter what their age are, you know, all of these things, it, it is, it is work. It is working and taxing to the system to have to address all of this. And, it manifests for everybody differently. Just like we talk about, you know, trauma manifests itself differently. Everybody's um, responses to this are are different. I've been talking to a lot of, 
you know, adoptees and just people in general that are are really pissed off and are really angry and just are really just rageful about this blatant injustice that is happening. And I think that a lot of us as adoptees, like injustice is kind of like a, 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 a sore spot for us. Like we really want things to be just, and we mm-hmm. really are adamant about those things. And when you see something as blatant as, you know, certain racial groups being targeted and killed or, you know, police officers who are supposed to be there to keep us safe, blatantly attacking and assaulting people, like that's kind of a, a mind fuck for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how, I mean, how do we take care of ourselves? Before we even get to that, like, how do we even have these conversations? Like, how do you talk to parents about how to have these conversations with their kids? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's hard. I just want to take like a moment of like, it's hard and acknowledge that it sucks that we live in a place where we have to so routinely have these conversations with anybody, but especially with children, because, you know, I think one of the beauties of being a child is like just your innocence, right? And like so many kids with all of this stuff that has been thrown our way have really been robbed of that sense of just like innocence that some of us had in a different way growing up. And I think that that is just tragic. So I just want to acknowledge that it is really hard. I think that one of the things I come across most, um, especially when it's an adoptive parent and um, like the children are still living in the house is the impulse to just shelter, to not bring it up, to not talk about it, to just kind of like go on business as usual because parents don't want to scare their kids. They don't want to inflict or cause any more pain or confusion. And I think that in in my experience, that always ends up backfiring because then they inevitably find out about it from someone else, from some other source. And that that source should always be you. You should be the source of we're going to face hard topics and we're going to get through them together and we're going to discuss them in an age appropriate, developmentally appropriate way. But I think that for a lot of parents that I work with, that is the knee jerk reaction of just like, we're not going to we're not going to go there. Yeah, I can totally appreciate from being a parent, why that is the, that's the go-to, but it's just, it's not enough and it's not going to help keep our kids safe and our kids in a space that they know how to protect themselves and are empowered to know what their choices and their resources and their options are. And especially when um, it comes down to senses of safety, right? That's something that our community struggles with and that's what breeds this chronic stress and this chronic trauma right when we're living in homes that are well resourced or not I guess it doesn't really matter but seemingly our needs are being met that doesn't mean that we're feeling a sense of safety right we might be a different racial group than our parents or we might you know come from a different cultural background And when that's not represented in the home and that there's a sense of isolation in our belonging and our sense of identity, that in itself can create this chronic stress of, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I can authentically exist. I don't feel like I'm understood. I don't know where my safe people are. 
And that doesn't, it's not about how much you love or don't love your kid. It's literally just about their system implicitly feeling like they have access to safety and um, being able to ground in, in being able to be authentically themselves. And so it doesn't have to be this big thing. It can just be part of their daily living that is creating this sense of this chronic stress. Right. And so when we layer that, we, like you said, always talking to kids in an age appropriate way, in a way that developmentally makes sense, but not having to sugarcoat it either. Right. Mm -hmm. And saying, this is really, really, really hard. And due to the spaces of privilege, you might not have the same lived experience as your child. So if you are a white adoptive parent, like if you take race, for example, you might not know what it's like to drive while black or what it's like to be afraid to speak your native tongue out in public, right? Because of backlash, you might not have that lived experience, but always trusting that your child, if they're coming to you and saying, Hey, this is really upsetting to me, or this has been really frustrating or difficult for me. And always honoring their truth is the truth that that's where we need to start at and to look at not saying, no, I don't think someone didn't mean it that way. Or I'm sure that was just how you interpreted it. I don't think they really meant it that way. And really giving kids to be the experts on what their experiences are and giving them the tools to help navigate that. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it is, I mean, it's important all around, right, for parents to be having conversations with their kids about this. I think just as a transracial adoptee myself, and maybe you can relate to this as well, is I think that there is an added importance of white parents talking to their um, transracial adoptees about this because most of the stories that we're hearing, right, with this like massive violence and things like that, so many of them, white people are the perpetrators against people that are black, brown of other, you know, races and things like that. So what does that set up for young kids that then they carry into adulthood is people that look like my parents or like my adoptive family are committing these heinous, horrible acts against people that look like me. And this is commonplace. This is stuff that in many cases, there's there's no accountability for. There's all of this messiness around it. And so right then and there, you, you aren't necessarily the safest, right? Because you're on that same playing field with all of the other white people that are making these horrible offenses, right? And so even then, like Amy was saying, that that felt safety is off, right? So that's why it makes it so much more important for your kids, no matter their age, to hear from you, you know what, that is unacceptable. And this is not okay. And this is something that's so painful. And all of those things so that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you do not condone this stuff that's going on, you do not stand for what's going on, that you are going to speak out about the fact that this is so wrong on so many different levels. And not to say that that is going to cause your kid to feel 100% safe in certain spaces, because 
it, it's pretty hard to do that as um, a minority in this country. Um, but it at least shows that you are not going to be complicit with this really horrible stuff that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And when it, when we talk about it, never responding with the responsive, but I don't see you that way, right? <clears throat> because if that, other than that, the reason why I bring that up is because I hear it's such a common response and I even heard it at times growing up, yeah. um, but as a transracial adoptee, but really making sure that that is not the gut reaction response, because then that is even more conflicting, more confusing, and also does the exact opposite of creating spaces that are inclusive and equitable in your home, right? Like what is, what messaging are you sending your child that you are the one that I quote unquote saved or I helped or has this like proximity to privilege, but everybody else in your community isn't worthy or deserving of that same protection, love, care, whatever it might be. So you have to be really careful about how we're grouping adoptees and labeling them. And just because they have proximity to privilege doesn't mean that they have privilege. Right. Especially when they're not with you all the time, right? That Mm -hmm. privilege, that nice little privilege umbrella, which, you know, I get because I had it too. It, it almost like expires once you're not living at home with your parents, once they're not, you know, your sidekick and walking around with you all the time. It's society doesn't the world does not care who unless, you go home to. Right. Unless your parent is, you know, right next to you and vouching for you and speaking for you and all of those things. That's not how society sees us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just like when I think back on when COVID first hit, when I think back to like that, that March 2020 my husband was deployed. I was living back in Milwaukee with my two little kids. And it was such a terrifying time because my partner was gone. I had, he was deployed. I'd already been like, on a, we were nearing a year end for a year deployment. I was so exhausted. I was like, oh my God, he's going to come home this week. He's going to come home. He's going to come home. And the week he was scheduled to come home was the week that the world shut down. Mm-hmm. And and ended up extending six more months of his deployment. But um, I just remember thinking like, this is insanity. Like we, nobody knew what was happening. I felt like I couldn't even leave our apartment because I was so scared to breathe in air that I knew other people had been walking in because mm-hmm. every time I turned on the news, all I saw was lines being wrapped around hospitals and people were dying in the streets. And um, I remember finally getting to my mom's house in May and And then George Floyd was murdered. Hmm. And I remember just sitting in her kitchen and like weeping, like this deep, deep, deep cry. And I just, I I don't know if there's been a moment that I felt like from every direction in my life, I couldn't find safety. Usually there's like a pathway where like, okay, this connection feels safe or yeah this over here feels safe or this community feels safe. But I remember like so specifically of being in my mom's kitchen and just like completely like gut crying. Like I couldn't, it was like down to the soul level. And it's like, I couldn't, you couldn't talk to anybody when everything, because everybody collectively was dealing with like the same anxieties, the same fears. Everybody's stuff was like, anything that was bubbling under the surface for anybody was just like completely like out, right. And exposed when everything, yeah. And it was, it's, it's like, 
we haven't fully like recovered from it. And it's just like, everything is just like piling up on piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. And so it's just, I think it's important to name how this stuff just continues to stack on top and how much this resonates, this conversation resonates for me. And so I know it's resonating for other people about how exhausted we really are up to at this point. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that even though to like on the outside, something like, you know, the recent shooting where, you know, people of, of Asian descent were, were targeted, right? How that is really hard for some people to link to, you know, pre-verbal relinquishment trauma. There's still a link, right? And the link is how we carry it in our bodies. The link is the emotions that are attached to it. The link is the negative beliefs that we have on that channel. So, ever since really, I think we use like COVID as a marker because like everybody feels like that's just when the world kind of went up in flames. Um, so there was hard stuff before that, but I think that's a real big marker for people is, you know, adoptees, especially that I was working with myself included, it just triggered so much. It triggered, I'm, I'm totally helpless. It triggered, I'm not safe. It triggered, you know, I, I, I can't be heard. It triggered, nobody cares about what I think or what I need. It triggers, I, I don't know how to ask for help, right? It triggers all of these things that we've been carrying for so long. And then it's just like this thing that ke- keeps poking at us. Like we haven't gotten a break and, you know, just years and years and years at this point before we get hit with the next thing. And I think that that's so important for adoptees to, um, to know when to understand, because I think a lot of people are just like, well, no, you're crazy. Those things aren't linked and all those things like, no, there's a definite link, but also for parents, for caregivers, for teachers, for therapists, the fact that this population in particular is having such a hard time with all of this stuff is not like it, it's, it makes so much sense, right? It makes so much sense. And it's something that I think is really important to be privy to because, people see the intensity of how some of us are responding and are like, well, what the heck? Like, why, why? Like that didn't even affect you or that you weren't there or that wasn't even a group that you're a part of. Why is this hitting you so hard? And this is the why. This is the why because it hits stuff that is so ingrained on a personal level for us. And I think that's really important as we continue to navigate um, this shit show, for lack of a better term um that we're being really mindful of yeah no I think that that was said very well and yeah it's it's exhausting it's heavy it's it's super it's super heavy Amy and I are like on our last legs here we're like oh my god when when are we gonna get a break here um but I think that you, you had kind of touched on this earlier we obviously have so little control about some of these big, huge things that are happening. So again, another thing that's super triggering for adoptees and people with complex trauma, right? No predictability, no control over any of this stuff. So with that being said, like we can't control if there's a mass shooting, we can't control, um, you know, the nuances of how, you know, this system of racism within this country was built, all of those kinds of things. What can we do? Like, what are some things that maybe you do, some 
things that you encourage your clients to do to at least help protect our peace to the extent that we are able? Yeah, I think that to the best of our ability, because I think everything becomes a vicious cycle, right? Like I get anxiety because this stuff is happening. And then I have anxiety because I have anxiety, right? Like kind of just like magnifying. It's like, it kind of like, because I'm anxious, I'm anxious because I, why am I still so anxious about this? Right? Like, so I think, I think one of the things that we forget because when we get stressed out or when we're like, when we're activated, we forget what we have access to. So one of the things that I really stress on, which seemingly might be some of the simplest stuff, but I think it can be, that's like the, always the hardest stuff, at least yeah. for me is basic self-care, right? Because like if we're feeling good, then we have our capacity widens just even as like a smidgen of a fraction. Yeah. So simple things like trying to eat, even if I'm not hungry, drinking water, plenty of fluids, trying my best to get sleep or like at least like seven hours of sleep, um, trying to stay in connection with people that I really love and care about things that I know are part of my daily responsibilities that just help my system function, right? Like that is the most important stuff, right? I've been having a really stressful time lately. I like totally lose my appetite when I'm stressed out, but I've been trying really hard to just force myself to eat, even if it's just something small, because yeah. I know that that's what's going to fuel my system, right? I'm trying to keep my capacity as wide as possible. So when I work with clients or when I'm working with myself or when even my kids are going through it, just keeping that routine, keeping that structure is so important because again, it's that predictability that our systems are craving and need to follow. They need to know what to expect. They need to know lunch is going to happen at this time. They need to know that water is always available to them. They need to know at night that they can go to sleep and there's not going to be any disruptions, right? Like our systems need that predictability. And I think part of that is also finding your people and being in meaningful, connected relationships, whether that's in your home, whether that's peers, whether that's at work, whether that's in creative spaces, right? Whatever that is, finding at least one connection that is able to affirm you and validate you and see you in your stuff mm-hmm. and able somebody who's able to really sit with you and hold space for whatever it is that comes up. There is obviously tons of tools and tricks that you can learn in therapy. There's tons of modalities that can help work through some of this stuff. But I think when we just, when we think about what we have access to, the stuff that we can do to really nourish and nurture our bodies and our souls, that stuff can actually go a really long way. Yeah, no, I I could totally resonate as you were saying that I'm also somebody that, um, you know, even right now, um, for those of you that don't know, I was recently in in my birth country. I was in Colombia for a couple of weeks. And so my system is already going through the ringer with that switch and that change. And then to be bombarded with all of this heaviness once I got back to the States, um, like my system's just an overload. And um, it is, it's, it's those basic things that are the first to go. Like I will just not eat because it's just like, ugh, nothing sounds good. I just don't want to not feeling it. Um, you know, sleep will go out the window, just all of those kinds of basic things. And I do, I agree that it's so important, even if there's just one of those things that you can commit to, 
um, doing that, but also being really mindful and approaching our protective systems because each one is unique um, in a really compassionate way because at this point right now, it makes a lot of sense that some of us are having to default to some of those survival states. And I have found that just for myself and I encourage my clients when that happens, if we try to fight it or if we try and say like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, I have all of these things on my to-do list, but like, it was really hard for me to get out of bed today and all of those things. If we try to fight it and judge it, it just wreaks more havoc for our system, right? If that survival state of us is feeling the need to inch its way in and kind of take over for a little bit, it makes sense right now with everything going on that that would need to happen. And it's okay for us to let that happen and not have to be in this constant mode that I think, you know, America especially is known for is just like, just push through, just keep going, just keep going, just push through. You just got to get through it. It's like, no, like there, there is no pushing through this stuff at this point. Totally. Yeah. I noticed like lately, I feel like I've been in shutdown mode just because I've been really overwhelmed with certain things. Like I've just kind of been so overwhelmed that I'm just kind of like, yeah, I can't do anything. And it's paralyzing and it's frustrating and it's annoying. So even if one thing that's been helping me get through that is push it in pushing through that is just getting one thing done a day that's on my to-do list just one thing Mm -hmm. even if it's really small like put together a grocery list or you know make one phone call that I need to make or pay that one bill or whatever it might be knowing that I'm at least taking care of something that isn't keeping me completely 100% in that shutdown space yeah yeah so we all, when we're, when we're triggered or when we're in flight, when we all are in that like protective space, we take on these strategies. Sometimes we're in like fight mode or we're in shutdown mode or we're in freeze mode. Right. And so we just need to kind of figure out, like paying attention to like, how are you responding? Are you feeling yeah, like you're on the Where team? am I? On that where are you at? Yeah. And just kind of what can I do? How can I be really strategic in honoring what's coming up? Because that's important to the best of my ability without judgment, understanding that it makes sense that I'm here, understanding that it makes sense that I got, I'm at this point. What can I do to try to counter that? What can I do to try to offer other suggestions so that I can slowly pull myself out of that space? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think something else, and it's kind of just about, um, like you were kind of talking to about that connection piece, which is so important. Like none of us are meant to go through all of this stuff in isolation. Like it's just, it's too big for one person to go through on their own. And I think something so important for those of you listening who maybe don't have a direct connection to adoption or are an adoptive parent or work with this population, like, please don't shy away from bringing this stuff up and reach out to, you know, people that you know that any of this stuff could be coming up for them, right? I think that in a lot of situations, especially like during the height of the pandemic with, you know, everything you were talking about, like when all of the George Floyd stuff was going on, Um, I remember for me, like there was only like maybe like a small, small handful of people that like checked in on me during that. And like, that was really hard to think that like, 
there weren't people that thought that that was on the radar or thought that like, oh, well, like she's got it all together and she's still working and doing all these things. So this can't be affecting her, right? Like this is affecting those of us with complex trauma to a degree that I think a lot of people don't even realize. So please, please, please check on, you know, if you know any transracial adoptees, check on people that you know that are of different, um, you know, ethnic and racial backgrounds, check on people, um, you know, who who would probably fit the criteria for having past trauma experiences or complex PTSD, because this stuff, whether they can hit that nail on the head or not, is, is, is affecting them. Yeah. Yeah. And the, all the burdens I think that we carry from like these ancestral burdens that we have to being people of color, right? The things that we hold in our bodies and then also just what society tells us that we can or can't do, right? Just based off of our proximity to privilege and resources and all of that. And so like it's the chronic stress of that, the toxicity of that is so much for one system to hold. And finding for, for me, one thing that's been so healing and comforting for my system is being in connection with other people who have that lived experience. So knowing other adoptees, knowing other people of color, knowing other um you know, people who have similar lived experience as a Jewish family, like Jewish families, right? Like people who can resonate with like the other parts of me that have that lived experience of knowing what it's like to be marginalized or that lived experience of knowing what it's like to be silenced or not have that space to really authentically be out in the real world. But then there's communities and like these subcultures where I feel like, but here I can live and breathe and be myself. And that's just been really helpful for me. Yeah, for sure. So I guess we just want to really stress that we are all in this together. We are all um, collectively feeling the impact of our world, just feeling like this massive pileup of disaster after disaster after disaster. And I wish I could sugarcoat it and say, you know, like this too shall pass, but it feels like for whatever reason, this is the chapter that we're just all in. We are in it. We are in it and it is a hard one and I don't have an end date. So do what you can with what you have access to, right? There's no right or wrong way to move through this. Just know that you are deserving to move through this and you are deserving to have space that is nourishing and space that is held for you as you navigate this. Um, so please just take care of yourself and, um, know that, you know, we are here for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Be gentle, be kind with yourselves. Um, you know, there is community that is out there. So please reach out if you need that. And, um, you know, we know that this was a little bit of a different episode than usual, but we thought that it was really important and really timely because of everything that has been going on and just the toll that it has had not only on us, but, you know, within our community. And so, yeah, you guys are not alone in that. 
If you have any questions or comments or concerns, please feel free to reach out on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast or at, email us at adoptiesdish at gmail.com. So have a great rest of your day and thank you so much for tuning in and for being part of our community. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Adoptees Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Patreon, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. If you like what you heard and want to support our work or allow us to have amazing guests on the show, please consider making a donation. We can be reached on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast, at Grohio Blossom, and Marcella Maslow. And you can send us emails at adopteesdish at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for our next episode. Please share this podcast. Talk to others about things you learned. Together, we have the potential to heal broken systems. Mm-hmm.